0: Great to see you all uh, this morning. Again, if you're a guest with us, a very special welcome. So, so glad uh, that you chose to come and spend some of your morning here um, with us. My name is Kondo. I get to serve as one of the pastors on staff here. And uh, this morning, I have the privilege of continuing um, the the second of a four-week series of Christmas uh, messages entitled, A Bigger and Better Christmas, and uh, man, the heart of this series is really, really simple. We want to agree with the truth of the Bible by loudly and shamelessly declaring this fact that Jesus Christ is bigger and better than whatever you may be hoping for or running from this season. Jesus is bigger and better than whatever you might be hoping for or whatever you might be running from this season. And uh, to see that, we are looking at a number of different stories in the New Testament in which people who are searching, people who are on a quest, have an encounter with Jesus that alters their life forever and in which he offers himself to them as better than whatever it is that they might have been searching for. So this morning, oh man, Jesus is going to meet a sketchy woman, Um, a woman of questionable character, um, who I honestly think that we will each identify with in one way or another, Um, but a woman who at the end of the day is just terrified of being bored and being alone and is willing to sell out her soul in order to feel the remotest rush of life. And I think it's into this story uh, that we learn that, that Jesus Christ is better even than our greatest dopamine high, our greatest rush of whatever we might consider Life And so if you have a copy of the scriptures, meet me in um, John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And um, we are are going to start reading at verse 7. But before we do that, let me just give you um, some quick... Context. Uh, Jesus um, has been in uh, the region of Judea, an area called Judea. Um, some people drama broke out. Jesus isn't having that, doesn't want anything to do with it. And so he grabs his crew and they head north to uh, the region of Galilee. And in order to get from Judea to Galilee, Jesus goes through an area called Samaria. Um while he's there, he, he takes a, a much-needed pit stop. It's a 30-mile walk um, from uh, Judea to Samaria. And in Samaria, he takes a, a pit stop to rest um, in a town called Sychar. Um And uh, while he's there, his chill spot of choice is um, a, a very historically famous water well called the Well of Jacob. Now, John, who's apparently, you know, very time conscientious, the the author of this uh, particular book, wants us to know that Jesus stops to rest around noon, the middle of the day. So he sits down uh, to take a load off, and that's when this encounter takes place, starting at verse 7. So let's look at this story. It says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, well, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So, right out of the gate, it's almost as if John, the author of this book, wants us to know this encounter should never have happened. Jesus and this woman should never have acknowledged each other's existence, let alone had a conversation. And he tells us in this parenthetical aside because the Jews hated the Samaritans. Now, a quick um, history um, for us: uh, a number of generations uh, before this, there was a rogue group of Jews who uh, essentially staged a mutiny. And they rebelled against the king, rebelled against the country, and they started their own nation. Uh, this sub-nation that they started um, ended up intermarrying with enemy nations and ended up intermingling their religion with pagan religions. The result of, of this was a blended race with a blended religion that was called Samaritan. The Jews hated the Samaritans. They were considered national traitors and were often referred to as half-breed dogs. That's not a very nice thing to say. It was said that in times of war, the Jews would rather have died than accepted the help of these Samaritans. No love lost between these two. So any good parent would have raised any good little Jewish boy to understand, no, you cannot go over to that Samaritan's boy, boy's house to play. Matter of fact, if I even hear that you were talking to that Samaritan boy, there was a deep cultural conflict and chasm that dated back generations and generations. Hater history, bad, bad blood. That's why this woman is shocked I've lived for some 20 some odd years, and I can safely say I have never been acknowledged by a Samaritan man, at least not without the use of deeply offensive, derogatory slurs. Your people don't talk to my people. We're not friends. In fact, you're kind of creeping me out right now. Like, why are we even talking? Why is this conversation happening? This encounter should never have happened. But beyond the cultural conflict between these two groups of people was a matter of cultural convention. Both the Samaritans and the Jews would have agreed on this. A man who would have been considered first-class citizen never spoke to a woman who would have been considered a second-class citizen, especially not in a one-on-one context in a public location like this. This would have been considered culturally controversial. That's why she not only says, I'm a Samaritan. Why are you talking to me? She says, I'm a Samaritan woman. Why on earth are you talking to me right now? Because this encounter should never have happened cultural conflict cultural convention cultural controversy all reasons why this should never have happened except for the simple fact that jesus wanted it to happen and made sure this encounter happened if you're going from judea to galilee Going through Samaria was the most direct route. But because of the history of hate between these two groups, the majority of Jews would walk around Samaria just to avoid the vaguest possibility that they might run into one of these half-breed dogs. Jews didn't go through Samaria. And yet if you read verse 4 of this chapter, it tells us Jesus had to go through Samaria. And as you read between the thinly veiled lines, you start to get the very clear sense this was a deliberate detour. Jesus came to seek specifically to seek her. Now that was, by the way, for anyone who thinks that pastors only work on Sundays. I That took me a little while to come up with, so somebody better send me an encouragement note a little bit later on. But regardless This was a deliberate detour. Jesus wanted the encounter that should never have happened to happen, and he made it happen. And I love that. Because that right there is some Christmas hope. That Jesus Christ disregarded heavenly conflict and holy convention and he made a deliberate detour from heaven to come to earth to make sure he had an encounter with a group of people who had rebelled against the king and started their own thing and had intermingled with sin. He came to make sure he encountered people who holy convention should say you two should never ever talk let alone ever be embraced by Jesus Christ. I love this story because it's hints of our hope that Jesus makes deliberate detours to make sure he has encounters with people who have no business ever engaging him. Some Christmas hope. And while she's all caught up on all the reasons they should not be speaking, it's as if Jesus tells her, listen, do not miss the significance of this moment that's happening right here. I mean, you can talk about my people and your people, but I didn't come for your people. I came for you. Don't miss this moment. We can talk about your past in in our history, but I'm here for you right now. Do not miss this moment. Look at what Jesus says in verse 10. It says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Uh, by the way, when Jesus talks about living. Um, water here's what he means and you know I I love the fact as I was processing um, this passage I I was just so encouraged by the fact that we have honestly um, spoken about this as a church so often that many of you could honestly preach this portion of the sermon but you're not going to because I have um, the microphone so I'm going to go ahead and do that but here's what he means Jesus knows that every one of our souls is desperately dry and deeply thirsty. Jesus knows that. Jesus also knows that we cannot bear the emptiness in our souls because we were never created for emptiness. Ever. We were created to overflow with life and fullness and joy and satisfaction. So listen, by the way, if you hate that feeling of emptiness, so the feeling of loneliness, good. Let that be a reminder we were never created for emptiness and loneliness, or as guys will call it, boredom. And because our souls were not created for emptiness, Jesus knows that when we feel lonely or we feel empty or we feel bored, we go crazy looking for some kind of a dopamine high of one sort or another. And what we start to do is we start to take trips back and forth and back and forth to whatever well we believe. Whatever person we believe, whatever place we believe, has the greatest potential of bringing about that fullness that our souls desperately long for. Whatever we believe will bring a rush of life. And Jesus is aware of that. And so he tells this woman listen, I made a geographical detour. I disregarded some generational conflict and convention so I could come and see you because I deeply want to give you the living water that you were desperately longing for. The water that your soul was created for. But here's what Jesus says, which I think is so powerful. I've come to give you this living water, but I want you to ask me for it. I want you to ask me. And the fact that you want to talk about conflict and convention and our people and our past tells me you have no idea in whose presence you stand. And how significant this moment is because if you knew in whose presence you stand, you would ask me and I would give you living Water. You would ask me to fill your soul with what you desperately need the most. Please don't miss this moment. Ask me. And by the way, so much like many of us is this lady. And I believe that, that Jesus wants to give us living water that will change and fill us forever. But he wants us to ask him for it. It is amazing how many of us are still deeply living with deep thirst simply because we haven't realized and we haven't asked him for it. Because we might show up to this well called church uh, week after week. We might sing some songs. We might take a few notes. Uh, we might keep our eye on the clock and, you know, check fantasy football lineups. We might check out uh, a cute boy or whatever. But never ask Jesus for the very thing. That he longs to give and the very thing that our hearts were created for. We can be in the same vicinity as him week after week and never ask him. And Jesus would say to us, do not miss this moment. Because if you realize whose presence rests among his people here this morning, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But please ask me. Amazing how often we can come so close and never ask him. We might talk about all the drama in the world and the political climate and how we would run the world differently if we were Jesus, but never ask him for living water, the thing our souls thirst. For. we might wallow in our past and we might be very aware of all the reasons i shouldn't even be in church right now and jesus really should never even consider uh, talking to me but we never ask him for life and for some of us i am trusting this is going to be the morning that you ask him he wants you to and he never says no to filling thirsty souls with living water. Verse 11, sir, the woman said, um, Yeah, the thing is, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is really deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his livestock. She's not getting what Jesus is talking about. In fact, what she's getting is a little bit of a chirpy attitude with Jesus. She gets a little bit offended by what Jesus said. You just dissed our historic well and my forefathers. She's not happy. Now, we've got to understand. When she hears the phrase living water, we understand the meaning behind it. She didn't. In that context, living water would have been just the opposite of stagnant water. It's a difference between a puddle and a river. A river was living water. It came from a source that sprung and brought about a rushing stream that meandered through a variety of villages, bringing life and vitality to whatever place it touched. The living water was the idea of a moving body of water that never evaporated versus just stagnant water that could evaporate and evaporate. Constantly. What this woman knew was that in the town of Sichar, there was no living water. There was no river. There was no stream. The only source of water was this historic well that her forefathers had built and that they had come to over and over for generations and generations to get water to drink. So now you can understand a little bit why she's a little chirpy with Jesus. She gets an attitude. Are you saying, (laughs) after all these generations of all my forefathers that somehow you know a secret river in Sikar that none of the rest of us have ever discovered, are you even from around here? How dare you come to this place? Are you better than our forefathers? Are you better than our forefathers? Animals, she's a little upset with Jesus. So, so fascinating. She's still missing the moment to ask Jesus for life because she's wrapped up in past patterns. Ridiculous, except so much like us. So much like us. See, we've been looking for so satisfying life where the exact same place where my mom looked for it and her mom looked for it For generations and generations and generations, we've always done it this way. Whenever we felt deep thirst and deep loneliness, we all came to this well. It's what we've always done. And you're telling me somehow Jesus who shows up from heaven, he's not even from around here, is going to tell us that there's some kind of a river that none of the rest of us have discovered. No thanks. We are going to do what we've always done and run back to the same places we've always run to. Just like our forefathers. It's what we do. Because it's what we've always done. You go to school. You get a job. You buy a house. You get in debt. You get a spouse. You have some kids. And your soul is satisfied. It's the American dream. Get on the track. It's what the generations before us have done. And for some of us, we've never even stopped to ask, why am I on this track? Why am I at this well? Well, our forefathers have always done it this way. Duh, duh, Jesus. It's just the way it is. And then we're surprised when we end up with midlife crisis when we realize, oh my goodness, it didn't work. Will you eat away your soul's emptiness? Duh. It's what our family has done for generations. Well, of course, you just buy a bigger one. You just swipe the credit card. It's what we do. Well, of course, you just trade him in for a better looking version of him and hope that he, it's what we've always done. Well, you just use your body to get affection. It's what we've, done and for many of us just like this woman we won't ask Jesus for life because we don't believe he knows something everyone else doesn't and so we just chase the dream follow the pattern do what has always been done and Jesus is saying I came to give you life please ask me why would he say that Because you've been asking history for too long. You've been asking Hollywood for too long. You've been asking the media for too long. You've been asking Forbes magazine or whatever. And he says, no, ask me. And for some of us, I wonder if today isn't the day when we decisively break up with our past patterns and ask Jesus. Come on, be practical. It's what we do. And I wonder if for some of us today is the day when we break up with patterns of the past. And Jesus says, listen, nothing against what has always been except this. Look at verse 13. Because again, these things aren't bad. Jesus doesn't indict some of these things. And we'll see this as the story winds down. Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water, comes back to this place, follows in this pattern, will be thirsty again. Your forefather Jacob got thirsty over and over again and had to keep coming back. But whoever drinks the water, I give them. will ask me will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I'm not dissing your forefathers. I am just made them myself. In fact, Jacob is my great-great-granddaddy, but we're not even going to talk about that. What I am saying, though, is this well is a puddle What I offer is a rushing river. This well quickly evaporates. It may quench thirst at a superficial level for a short time, but it will leave you thirsty again. That's why you've had to keep coming back year after year, day after day. I came to offer you a better kind of well. I came to offer you a better kind of water that will never leave you thirsty. And I love what Jesus says, because I will actually put the spring in your soul. And out of that spring will rush rivers that flow to every area of your life, bringing joy and vitality and hope and peace to everything they do. Touch, I'll install a spring in you. What an awesome offer. I just want you to ask me for it. She still doesn't fully get it, but she starts to believe and she finally asks for it. Look at verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water over and over again. She begs Jesus, Can I have some? Please, I've been coming to this well to get water over and over and over only to have to come back over and over and over because I keep getting thirsty over and over and over because it keeps evaporating over and over and over and over. I'm exhausted and if there is some way that you can give me water that prevents me from this tedious, repetitious trip, I'll take it. I don't know how, but I will take it. And this is that climactic moment in the story where you would think Jesus would say, boom, let it be so, and he'd install the spring and the water would start to gush and this woman would live happily ever after and into eternity. But instead Jesus changes the topic. I don't I don't get it. But he does. Just when they finally agree and get on the same page, Jesus Picks up an entirely different book. Look at verse 16. He told her, Go, call your husband, and come back. What? How did we get here? I have no husband, she replied, kind of personal and intrusive, but whatever, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. They're getting along now. Just agreeing about everything. And with that, Jesus' brilliant point comes into view. This is what Jesus has been getting at the whole time. He is not changing the topic. He's not switching channels. He's just getting to the point. Go and bring your man. It's like, mm, why my man? Because you have grown to believe That a man is your well. Go and bring your man. This trip... That you take day after day to come back to the same well that your forefathers came back to day after day. This is just a picture of the way you've been living your life year after year after year. Whenever you experience any semblance of thirst, any semblance of loneliness, any semblance of emptiness, you have rushed to the well of the next man. Hoping that a moment of snuggling or pleasure or whatever is going to finally bring about the fullness that you long for. So relationship after relationship after relationship, you've been coming back year after year after year. In fact, you've had five husbands and the guy you're shacking up with now is not your husband. Jesus is exposing the pattern of her life. He's exposing the well of her heart. What you do physically here with this well is what you've been doing emotionally with these men over and over and over again. And I want you to go home and bring me your well. I want to give you living water, but first go home and bring me your puddle the next infatuation that's going to inevitably evaporate and leave you emptier than you were before, bring that to me. That's what Jesus is asking her. What a profound way to go about it. Men have become your primary source of satisfaction, and it's only leaving you emptier and lonelier. And by the way, one of the ways we know this is because John apparently is time conscientious and he wanted us to know that this happened around noon. Noon? That's interesting. What Noon tells us is this woman is living in absolute shame and absolute hiding. Her life has come apart at the seams. The well was a place where women would go to draw water. So what it ended up becoming was this community gathering place where women would come and they would connect with women and they would talk and they would catch up. And they would just bond and have a great time. It was this beautiful place for connection. But... Typically, you would draw water in the morning or in the evening. No one ever drew water in the middle of the day under the merciless sun in the Mediterranean area. No one came to the well at noon unless they were trying to avoid other people. Unless they were trying to hide from other people. And this woman would rather have taken the beating from the sun than the beating from the eyes of women. She had a reputation. She had lost relationships. She was a suspect character. Living in shame and living in hiding. By the way, I love that that's where Jesus goes to meet her in the place of her hiding, in the place of her secrecy to offer her life. I bet you she was shocked on 50,000 levels. No one has talked to me, period. Not even the Samaritans talk to me anymore. And now you're talking to me. And for some of us, that's where we are. Patterns, places, wells we've run to that have left our lives a mess. What is standing in the way of your soul's fullness It's not the pail in your hand. It's that punk at your house. Jesus didn't say punk, by the way. I, I did. That's, that's my word, just so we are very clear on that. The pleasure of a man has become your well. Go bring your Man. Until you give up that well, you can't have this one. But it's your choice. And I'm convinced Jesus is, is saying the same thing to us this morning. Go bring your well, give up your source. Bring it to me. Whatever it is that you run to and depend on for the greatest rush of life, I want that. Bring it to I love this picture. Jesus, the source, is sitting by this well, this source. And in this picture, he's saying, Bring your source. You are going to have to choose which your source is, but it can't be me and anything else. So bring whatever you've been depending on to me. For some of us, it is like this woman. Maybe our hope is in relationships, some man or some woman. And so we are chronic daters. We can't even picture going three months without some kind of significant interest. In fact, the minute I say three months without a significant interest, your heart said, I can't breathe. I wonder if he would say, Bring me that. We trade one relationship for the next in hopes that the next one will finally do it. And like this woman, we just go back over and over to the same well, the same way generations have done it, the same way Hollywood does it, the same way... And Jesus would say, bring it to me. And I don't know what that looks like. For some of us, that might look like just saying... I'm making a 90 day commitment to just leave all this relationship chasing and stuff alone so I can ask him to be my source for some of us it's it's pornography that's our well So where we go over and over, whenever we feel empty, whenever we feel alone, it's where we experience the greatest sense of fullness. But then it fades. And so we need to go back over and over again. While the whole time it destroys us and leaves us more ashamed and keeps us in the noonday sun of hiding from other people. And it pulls us away from community and connection with Others. And I think Jesus is saying, Bring that to me. And I think that could look a variety of different ways. It could look like telling someone, maybe for the first time, or maybe telling someone again, so that it's not a private well. There's so much power in secrecy and, and privacy. Maybe by removing internet access, except where you need it. Which involves inviting other people so they can help you decipher what those places, I think I need it here, I need it um, here, I need it at my house. I No, you might need other people to know so they can come alongside and help. And maybe it's social porn, sexting or Snapchatting inappropriately. And You might need to close the account. You might need to hand the passwords over to your parents. You might need to tell someone. Whatever. This cannot be a half-hearted thing. This is a bring it to me. Because you are either going to depend on that as your well or this as your well. And Jesus is saying, bring me the puddle. Let me upgrade to a river. But bring me the puddle. Give up the source. And for some of us, it's, it's social media. It's, it's, we depend on it to feel alive or to feel affirmed or, or to get whatever our souls need. And we, we can't go, we can't drive from one location to another location without checking in on social media. You, you don't even remember how to go party without social media. And if that's you, you know. Like man, that's true. Insta party. <laughs> Nothing wrong with social media, but it's become your well. It's become the thing you have to keep running back to and Jesus says, "Bring it to me." It it will keep you thirsty. And thirstier and thirsty and thirsty. And the funny thing about thirsty and thirstier is the intervals between drinks start to become shorter and shorter and shorter. Now I have to sleep with my phone. I think I just outed somebody. I don't know who, but <laughs> man. For some of us it's 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 a fantasy world. Um it may be books. It may be TV. It's the place where we go when we feel lonely. And what we do is we escape into those places and pretend to be someone else. And oftentimes we pretend to be with someone else. Oh, man. And I'll tell you what's so fascinating. If we had time to talk about this, we totally would. Because some of these wells are so acceptable in the church. The thing is they're not to Jesus. It doesn't matter what the source is if it's not him. But for some of us, that's what it is. We're addicted to certain TV shows. And believe it or not, the reason you watch The Bachelor is because you are trying to somehow develop some vicarious relationship to that guy. Or it is a character in a show that you've actually developed a relationship with. When you tune in, it's not because you like the plot. It's because you and McDreamy have a thing. I don't even know if McDreamy's still a thing, but... That becomes your well. And you can binge for hours, and there's nothing wrong with a show. But for you, it's become the place you go as a first source of satisfaction. And Jesus would say, Bring it to me. Could be food, it could be family. It's just, it's just everything. My identity is in my family and how my kids are doing and, and how they're not, not doing and how they're dressed and, and how they, they look and, and how much people like their pictures on, on Instagram. It it's, it's, could be an unhealthy friend, codependency thing that happens. And Jesus says, bring it, whatever it is for you. Our prayers, the spirit of God would sit at the well that you depend on first and identify it and invite you. Bring it and ask him. Jesus wants our wells. And here's why. It's not because it's threatened by them. It's because he knows we cannot ask him for life if we're depending on something else. We never will ask him for life if we have another source. So Jesus is saying it's going to be that source or it's going to be me. And I'm telling you that puddle will leave you empty. This river will fill you up. Bring it for the better Look at this verse in Jeremiah chapter 2. It says, uh, my people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water. And they've dug their own cisterns. And it's interesting, Jeremiah doesn't specify, God doesn't specify what the cistern is. The point is forsaken and you've dug your own cistern, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. The reason Jesus wants us to bring our wells to him is because he knows they are broken and leaking. They will leave us emptier than before and destroy us while they do it. He's not threatened by them. He just offers something so much better. And this season, this morning, there's an offer on the table. His spring of satisfaction for your evaporating puddle. You can hold on to it if you want. You can keep running back again, but my prayer is that you are tired of the daily generational rushing back to this same broken place. There's an offer on the table. Give me your temporary fix that wears off and I'll give you an endless spring that only Grows. What's it going to be? This woman, by the way, ended up believing Jesus. And she goes back and tells everyone in the town of Sychar, which I love. This woman who was on the outskirts ends up going back into the city and telling everybody, Hey, I'm talking to you all again. New well, new well in town, new well in town. He never runs dry. New well in town, and as a result of her testimony, many in that town turn over and and give up their broken wells and rush to Jesus and ask him for life. And many live those next two days while Jesus stays in that town. And that's how prayer is that we would not miss the moment of Jesus sitting in this room. We would not miss the moment to ask him. We would not miss the opportunity to trade up our puddle for his river, our empty, broken cisterns, for the life our souls were created for. Are you ready to ask him? Do you need to maybe for the first time Or maybe again, ask him for living water. And if if that's you, and and you know I I need to to ask him. Uh, We want to say this prayer together. Again, I want to show you this prayer so that I don't say pray after me or pray with me. And you don't know what we're praying. I want you to see this. Jesus, I give up my source of satisfaction. And I ask you. To be my source and fill me with your living spring. That's what we want to ask him. And listen, it doesn't matter what your past pattern is. It doesn't matter what your previous story or failures or what shame you carry or what hiding you are doing. If you are willing to ask him. And if you are willing to trade in what you've been depending on. Jesus says, if you ask, I will give you living water. There is no reason any one of us should leave this room without living water rushing through our souls. Unless you choose to hold on. Unless you refuse to ask him. So regardless of who you are, we're going to all stand. No pressure. But if you feel I'm ready to pray this prayer, I would invite you, pray it out loud with This is a scary prayer for me to pray. But one, I don't want to miss the opportunity to pray. None the less. So why don't we stand together and say this prayer. No pressure. But if you feel in faith, you can pray this. then let's do this together out loud. Let's pray. Jesus, I give up my source of satisfaction and ask you, to be my source and fill me with your living spring. Amen.